0: You couldn't really tell from the action today, Dow inching up 40 points, S&P advancing 0.46%, NASDAQ gaining 0.59%. But we got a pitch-perfect employment report for the month of March today. It couldn't have been more bullish had I fabricated the darn thing myself. Yet the Labor Department's non-farm payrolls report gave you some Goldilocks numbers, all right, with just the right amount of job growth and just the right amount of wage inflation, meaning robust and meager, respectively. Adding 196,000 new jobs allows us to take the recession fears off the table. And tepid wage growth tells us that there's no reason for the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates. Remember, there is no data point more important to the stock market than this employment report. If the number's too inflationary, that can be devastating because there will be immediate calls for the Fed to tighten. If the number's too weak, like the last one, Everybody goes on recession watch. So as investors in the stock market, a lay report that shows strong growth with little wage growth is really the perfect combination. Of course, it's not so great if you work for a living and we're hoping for a raise. Great for the stock market, though. The amazing thing is that you'd expect full employment to cause skyrocketing inflation here, and that just hasn't happened. Maybe we aren't really at full employment because so many people left the labor force during the recession. Or maybe we need to update a lot of economics textbooks. Either way, it's bullish. Which begs the question, why the heck didn't the market roar higher today? Geez, because we've been up for seven straight days. There's a lot of money betting than we get a strong jobs number. In other words, it was already baked in. With that in mind, what's the game plan for next week? Okay, because the yield curve is still inverted. And we don't know how the trade negotiations with China will play out. We know how important they are. We're going to run an economic gauntlet in the week ahead. For instance, Monday, we will have to pay more attention than usual to factory orders and durable goods orders. We want them to remain robust enough that it puts the recession worries to bed, at least for now. Tuesday, we get results from WD-40. This is a little company that told a dynamite story. We had them on the show a month ago. CEO Gary Ridge wowed me when he talked about how WD-40 has become an innovation machine. If you missed that interview, I really, I tell you, you got to go to the archives. you got to look at it because it was really good. That said, you don't buy this kind of mission-driven, iconic brand for a quick trade. This is one of those stocks where if you like the product, you do the homework, and then you buy and hold the stock. Worst case scenario, it sells off and you get a chance to buy more into weakness. Check that chart out. You know what I mean. Wednesday, J.P. Morgan kicks off the retail conference where you'll hear from a bunch of incredible companies. I think they'll tell some terrific stories now that the stock market has turned up and business is picking up. I can't think of a better time conference. I especially look forward to hearing from Michelle Goss. She's the fabulous CEO of Kohl's, which is a very undervalued stock that we own for my charitable trust, where you can follow along with all my moves before we make them by joining the actionalertsplus.com. I want to hear what Goss says about the uh, Amazon tie up, by the way. After the close, Beth Mead reports now here's a company that's been a total dog for so long. That a bunch of very smart activists have come in and started trying to replace management. Today, Morgan Stanley upgraded the stock from sell to hold, arguing that these activists might be able to bring in a new CEO who can turn Bed Bath around. So maybe if the stock gets hit on a bad quarter, maybe you actually buy it. It's up from the low teens. Okay, Amazon's been crushing these guys, but it really doesn't have to be that way. Next up, ConAgra, CAG, has a big analyst meeting. The last time these guys reported, they were able to put the rest the idea that they'd bitten off more than they could chew in their acquisition of Pinnacle Foods. Can the company keep up its momentum? I'll be listening carefully because the food group has come alive of late with that horrendous quarter from Kraft Heinz perhaps marking a bottom for this difficult sector. Conagra well run. It could be a very important meeting. I've attended many analyst over meetings over many years. But you know what? I can't recall anything. That was as important as the Disney confab will be on Thursday. Disney stock has been marking time seemingly for ages. Even as the company's reinvented itself, buying Fox's entertainment assets, building out online streaming services. I think CEO Bob Iger will have good news and bad news. The good news, he's got an unprecedented movie schedule that dominates the plurality of weekends in any given year. And that's before the the addition of the Fox deal that gives them everything from Simpsons to Avatar, X-Men. Bad news. Disney's reinvention costs money. Lots of money. And that could potentially mean we get an earnings guide down, along with the discussion of how 2019 is an investment year. Will people sell their stock if we get that good news, bad news mix? Or will they realize Disney stock has done nothing for ages precisely because these worries were already well known? I don't know. But I recommend buying half a position before the meeting. Maybe on this day. Half, okay? And then, uh, well, that, you know, if the meeting has, f- creates fear because of this issue involving investment, then you buy the other half here, all right? I think that's the best way to approach this thing. That way, if it sells off, you get a better cost basis. Finally, Friday is going to be the most fraught day of the week, and that's when we get the first bevy of major earnings reports, starting with the banks. It's J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. uh, And they kick things off, and I, I think actually they'll both be good. I just don't know if anyone will care that they're good, Because of that darn yield curve, which means that they can't make as much money off your deposits as they would otherwise. I expect JP Morgan to have a strong quarter. As for Wells Fargo, it may not matter because CEO Tim Sloan just announced his resignation. He's been running the bank very well. But because he's taking so much fire from Congress for the sins of his predecessor, he decided to fall on his sword rather than put his company back in the crosshairs. We own J.P. Morgan for the Chapel Trust because I can't remember a time when it's been this cheap on an earnings basis. Wells Fargo's even cheaper, although there are people who don't want to own that one ahead of the upcoming grilling on Capitol Hill that starts the week after. Whoa! Throughout this whole week, we're going to hear about the status of the trade talks with China. I still believe the Chinese want a deal. Well, come on, their economy's coming in hot now. But it'll be very hard for them to make one because President Trump is unwilling to roll back the tariffs. He wants to keep them on his enforcement mechanism. The problem is that there's very little incentive for China to make a deal if they can't get rid of the tariffs. Now, if we do come to some kind of arrangement with the Chinese government, it might still be viewed as a bit of a letdown by Wall Street unless they do something like immediately allowing companies such as Visa and MasterCard to start doing business and People's Republic without signing ruinous joint ventures that then steal your intellectual property. That's what matters. Bottom line, we get an excellent, We get a, really this number today, this excellent employment number was terrific. But that bullishness was already baked into the average, which is why we didn't soar today. Keep that in mind as we run the gauntlet all next week. David in New Jersey.
1: David. Good evening, Jim. I'm calling on MTW, the Manitowoc Company. Yes. Back in February, you liked the stock. Yes, I did.
2: the
1: The company has since successfully restructured its financing, currently trades at or near book value. My question is, do you think this is a possible buyout target where perhaps they're looking to acquire someone else? Where do you see it from here?
0: I'm not sure exactly what the law is because they did a split off here. I, you, own it for, you don't buy it for takeover basis. You bought it for earnings. If the world comes back, you're going to have a decent stock. But it's very cheap. Without that, there's no catalyst. Cameron in North Carolina. Cameron. Booyah, Jim, from beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, it you? is gorgeous there. Thank you for calling. What's up? Nothing. Just want to obviously thank you for everything you do. Ah, uh, thanks um, a lot. Absolutely. So the uh, question today is relatively diversified, but looking into get into a different segment more, obviously, uh, restaurant type of food um, market. And I've okay. listened for years, and I know best of breed is uh, Domino's. Right. Uh, but my question today, um, with the rebranding recently and off its 2016 uh, like fiasco, what do you think about Papa John's for maybe a long time? Well, I, I have to think that, you know, frankly, I think that 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 is too competitive a segment right now because I think that, um, you know, Domino's is struggling for a second. I mean, they're you know, struggling. It's a relative issue, but the stock hasn't come back. My two favorites in that group are Darden and Yum. Darden first, then Yum second. How about Mike in Florida? Mike.
2: Hey, Jim, thank you for... Uh- all that you do for us. Uh, oh, you're it.
0: you're very welcome. Thank you.
2: Hey, uh in the context of the US China trade deal, you mentioned that our liquid natural gas supplies are locked up and yes. companies like uh, Dominion and Schneer have 20-year contracts for LNG sales. Uh in this environment, what do you think of Tellurian, T-E-L-L. okay, well,
0: Tellurian, of course, in Suki is not he's not uh, the CEO. But he, I am very very confident that he will be able to develop a brand new LNG powerhouse. But you have to wait a very long time for that. So if you don't have patience, you're going to regret that you purchased the stock. Patience? Okay. On weakness. All right, we couldn't have asked for a more bullish non-farm payroll number. But now for next week, the focus will be China. And, of course, the beginning of earnings season. On oh, Man Money Tonight. I'm revealing the one retail stock I think you should be buying into just right now. Then the IPO rush has to slow down with the top five IPOs held between Tuesday and Thursday alone. I'm eyeing one of the latest to take to the tape and telling you it could be worth considering. And is all the drama surrounding Alder Pharmaceuticals giving you a headache? I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out what this migraine drug maker is saying.
3: So stay with Kramer.
0: I'm opening up the lines to hear from you, the voices of Kramer, because it's an uncertain time. I want to talk to you.
2: Mr. Kramer, I just want to tell you, you are absolutely, positively fantastic. Thanks for helping us not panic in times like this. The average investor, which we all know and love, you cater to us, and we appreciate that for all you teach us.
3: I am not going anywhere. You shouldn't either. We will get through this together. Kramer has your back. Call 1-800-743-CNBC, and let's take on the market together.
0: We're going to figure this out. We'll puzzle it over, and we'll make it so that we're all smarter.
2: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective. And tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.
0: So many retail stocks have screamed higher here of late that I have to ask myself, who's next? Who's left? Who could still play catch up in the suddenly red heart group? I think it's Burlington Stores, the off price apparel chain, formerly known as Burlington Coat Factory. The last time this company reported, about a month ago, it had a not-so-hot quarter. That's something that was highly unusual for these guys. Historically, they have a terrific track record. But last time, Burlington was up against some unusually tough comparisons, and their same store sales came in below management's expectations. So what happened? The stock plunged. From 167 down to 147 in a single day. Quite jarring. And to me, an overreaction. No, an extreme overreaction. Uh, and it's, kind of, you know, it's been cre- creeping back up of late. Sorry. But you know what? Look at this. It's still nowhere near where it was. And that might be the opportunity. The truth is, excluding some women's apparel issues and the lack of winter wear, Burlington's business is doing fine. In fact, the rest of their line items were way above plan, which is pretty meaningful when you consider this company hasn't been a pure-play on women's coats for a very long time. These days, they sell accessories, footwear, menswear, babywear, home furnishings—the whole shoot and match. Unfortunately, Burlington's self-effacing CEO Tim King- Kingsbury, uh, Tom Kingsbury, he was so intent on being transparent that the conference call made his team sound like the gang that couldn't shoot straight. That's very different from the unrepentant Masters of the Universe tone that you expect from most other executives in the same position who had big winners. Right now, we're in an unusual moment for retail because we had a very cold and wet winter in this country, and most merchants really weren't prepared for, including Burlington. And believe me, they're not just using the weather as a bogus alibi. Home Depot was the first company to blame this extreme weather for a quarter that didn't go as well as they'd expected. Wall Street rewarded management's honesty by crushing the stock. People just couldn't stop worrying that somehow Home Depot was caught up in a major downturn, of course, by higher mortgage rates and slower home sales. Nope, turns out it really was the weather. Since then, we've heard from so many other retailers who told us the exact same story, and that's allowed Home Depot stock to mount a stunning rally. Do you know that it's now trading not above, but well above where it was when they reported that allegedly weak quarter. I'm thinking Burlington stores could follow a similar pattern. Once we get further into the spring, portfolio managers will forget why they sold the stock, and like they did with Home Depot, they'll give the company the benefit of the doubt. They know that if Burlington's weakness was really caused by excessively cold or wet winter and outlier, then the company should have no trouble bouncing back whatsoever. What about the other issues? Look, Kingsbury's got a fantastic team, and they don't think they're going to, I, I don't think they're going to repeat whatever fashion mistakes they made last quarter. They're too talented to mess up the same way twice. More importantly, this stock has a catalyst. Burlington speaks next week at J.P. Morgan's Retail Roundup. I'm betting they'll use that form to tell us how the spring weather has led to a turn in their fortunes. If that happens, the stock would rebound like a coiled spring from these levels. That's why I think you should buy the stock ahead of the meeting on Wednesday, when I expect everyone to hear that Burlington's issues have been cleared up. I can't say if the stock will erase the whole post-quarter decline the way Home Depot did. But I really like the risk of here. Brogdon Stores is a great company that deserves the benefit of the doubt after its brief stumble. The market should have given it to them. But at least this mistake means you can buy the stock at near, obviously when it was where it went to, was the rock bottom, but a near rock bottom price. How about we go to Red in Texas? Red.
2: Hello, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Red. Proud Texas Tech alumni in here in Minneapolis right now. Let's go Red
1: Raiders.
0: Oh, yeah. Very exciting team. Very exciting. I covered uh, the Red Raiders when they played Florida State in the 1977 Tangerine Bowl. What's going on? Defense, baby. Defense. Yes, indeed. Uh, Calling today about stock ticker BZUN. Oh, I debated, I debated, I debated. But remember, I I, I, I am willing to do Alibaba, which is a great company, and Baidu. I, you know, this one is a very, very good technology infrastructure play, but I am going to have to say, not for me. But I don't mind if you do buy it. And best of luck to the Red Raiders. Okay. Burlington will bounce back, and now's a good time to buy the stock of this great company. Much more have money ahead. The second IPO worth more than $1 billion hit the tape yesterday. But should you use caution before getting tangled up in trade web? I'm giving you my take. Then a biotech love triangle has Wall Street talking, and Outer Buyer Pharmaceuticals is in the middle of it all. I'll ask the CEO how it's handling the dispute. And you probably stored away hundreds, even thousands of emails that contain all kinds of personal information we prefer to keep private. So neither am I one company that can protect your online correspondence when I turn in tonight's homework. So stay with Kramer.
3: Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus, special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: What's the biggest threat to this market? As I've told you over and over again, it's the coming deluge of initial public offerings. Sell, 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 Where massive quantities of freshly issued stock could overwhelm the demand for equities and therefore knock down the averages. <laughs> Even if the broader market can withstand this glut of, uh, of stock supply, there are going to be particular groups that get crushed. Why? Because money managers need cash to participate in these IPOs, and without lots of new capital flowing into the coffers, and they don't have it, the only way they can do that is by selling something they already own. We just how the cloud stocks got pulverized yesterday. I think a lot of that has to do with the IPO market, and that's why for the next coming months, we're uh, maybe in the rest of the year, we're going to be on IPO watch. This is a real risk that not enough people seem to be worried about, and they should be. Uh, and those are the risks that can really hurt us, the ones that nobody's thinking about. Let the other guy worry about Brexit, okay? Let the other guy worry about uh, the inverted yield curve. I'm worried about supply. Obviously, these deals aren't all bad. The whole point is that they're too appealing to ignore. A well-choreographed IPO can make a lot of people a lot of money in very little time. So as we keep an eye on all of these companies that are coming public, we're also on the lookout for potential opportunities. Right now, we've reached a point where the deals are coming like clockwork. This week, just between Tuesday and Thursday, we got five IPOs, including the second-largest deal of the year yesterday, Market, symbol TW. This deal was massively oversubscribed. Earlier in the week, the underwriters increased the size of the offering by 33%. Then they boosted it by another 10%. Then they priced the deal at $27, above the marketed $24 to $26 range. And what has happened? Well, it's been fantastic. Fantastic. The stock exploded higher right out of the gate, opening up nearly 27% at $34 and change. Yes, instant wealth. Unlike the ignominious lift deal, although with the stock back at 74 and change, it's looking better by the day, TradeWeb managed to hold on to these gains, attacking on another buck and a half to close at $35.81 yesterday. And the stock barely got dinged this morning before bouncing right back, closing up more than 2%. That is how you do a successful underrated. Well handled. Why was there so much excitement for this deal? Oh, besides the fact that it's FinTech? Okay, TradeWeb operates electronic marketplaces for all sorts of fixed-income products and derivatives, 62 countries. They deal in everything from forward mortgage-backed securities to corporate bonds, interest rate swaps, currency swaps, equities, and money markets. And their technology keeps getting better and better, making these markets more and more efficient. So how about the financials? Wall Street's always on the hunt for accelerating revenue growth, or ARG, as we call it here. And TradeWeb gave you exactly the kind of acceleration that last year. Their gross revenues increased by 21.6% in 2018. That's up dramatically from an 8.6% growth rate the year before. Their net profit margin expanded from 30.7% to 33.3% over the same period. Very nice. TradeWeb's balance sheet has no meaningful debt, and even though they paid a $100 million dividend to the company's founders right before the IPO, they still had $304 million in cash and equivalents. However, it is worth pointing out that most of the proceeds from the deal don't go to TradeWeb. They're going to existing shareholders who are ringing the register. Now, I'm not too worried about that because TradeWeb's business is really good. Last year, their average daily volume grew by thirty-seven percent. We've also gotten some numbers for January and February. January was the best month ever. February looks like it would have been even better if not for the fact that, well, how many days in February? Right, twenty-eight. I got to tell you, I like this story. Bull thesis. Pretty straightforward. See, while the stock market went digital a long time ago, the fixed income and derivative markets are really a lot more old-fashioned. There's no centralized source of price discovery. So you have to get on the phone with multiple dealers and compare quotes, then get back on the phone to confirm your order, then settle the trade via fax. We already knew that digitization is the future of this business. It's more efficient, more transparent, and frankly, there's very little justification for the old voice market model of trading. In fact, in many cases, it's starting to be government-mandated, which is obviously very good for trade web. Plus, as we invent more and more types of financial securities, they're getting more and more opportunities. And the company still has plenty of room to expand overseas. All right, there are more positives. TW gets 48% of its revenue from subscription fees and minimum volume floors. We love recurring revenue and mad money as it insulates the numbers against periods of low volatility. Unusually for an IPO, TradeWeb is also profitable. Yes. Now, it may not have that sky-high growth rate that we like from, I don't know, let's say from Lyft, but it's already making money. And that means you're never going to have to worry about how they'll pivot to profitability. Plus, the presence of actual earnings makes the stock much easier to value. Last but not least, TradeWeb has major support from the Wall Street Fashion Show. You might call this a ridiculous conflict of interest, but it is worth pointing out that TradeWeb is owned by a consortium of the world's largest financial institutions, Barclays, Citigroup, Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. They all collectively own 46% of the company uh, before the IPO. The rest belong to Blackstone, the gigantic alternative asset manager. While some of these firms sold part of their, I- their positions in the IPO, they're still major shareholders. At the same time, TradeWeb is also used by the traders who work for these same investment banks. I don't want to imply any kind of impropriety here. There's supposed to be a Chinese wall between the sell-side research and the rest of the business of these companies. But let's just say I wouldn't be surprised if the analysts end up thinking very highly of this stock, taking it another leg up. On the other hand, TradeWeb's complex ownership structure is also the biggest negative here. Even after the IPO, the company has four classes of shareholders for and they own LLCs within corporations that have additional outside shareholders. It's like an MC Escher penny, if you ask me. All you need to know is that the Class A shareholders, the shares that sold as part of the IPO, have only a 2% total voting interest in the company. That means if you buy the stock, Blackstone and the banks are calling the shots, and you're just along for the ride. You've got to accept that. So after yesterday's gigantic spike higher, does it make sense to even think about owning TradeWeb here? Well, that depends on the valuation. Based on some back-of-the-envelope math, I think TradeWeb could be selling for roughly 31 times this year's earnings estimates. 31. Keep this number in mind. That's much more expensive than the major stock exchanges and electronic brokerage services, but these aren't necessarily good comparisons. I think the best comparison here may be Market Access, which is another electronic trading platform for bonds and you know I like that very much. We had them on the show. Always welcome back. Market Access sells for 50 times earnings. That makes TradeWeb seem like a bargain. Especially when you consider the trade web actually has a faster growth rate. That mir- really cements my liking of TW. Bottom line, when you look in the trade web, it's easy to see why its IPO was such a huge hit. It deserved to be. After yesterday's monster move, the stock is far from cheap. But you've got my blessing to buy this one, although obviously at these prices, a little more speculative. Just be careful. Buy it slowly. Hopefully you'll get a pullback so you can get more in at an even better basis. Lee in Virginia. Lee! Oh yeah, Jim, third time yeah. caller. This time I want to talk to you about SmartSheet, which I just added to my portfolio. I think it's a cloud play
2: that could become one of your cloud princes. It's up more than fifty percent for the year, but just after I bought my shares, it dropped ten percent. Am ah. I chasing this one, or is there a no? Lot more no, no, no. You're
0: right. Um, it, it, it's got. It, it's a little niche. It's a little niche. Uh, but I think that let's do more on it for you. Because I didn't understand why it just dropped. I'm hoping it was just part of that overall anti-cloud move that we had, but I can't just say that without knowing more. Fred in Pennsylvania. Fred.
3: Hi, Jim. My question is on Dropbox. At ICO in March of uh, 18 to 21, it reached a high of 43.50, somewhere around June of 18. The Since then, it's hovered around 21 to 23 hour range. The last two quarters
0: released were very good, except the last quarter had somewhat of a glitch. Uh, I'm currently down to the stock side. Sell, buy, or hold. No, no, I, I, I'm gonna to have to say hold it here. You know, look, we are big fans when it came public, Drew Halston, and we still like it. it I know it's not been a great stock, and, and sometimes you just pick stocks and, well, what can I say? It hasn't done a lot, but I think Drew's doing a good job. I think it's just a matter of time before it does better. But a lot of people don't have the time to wait. Okay, know your IPO people. You have my blessing to buy TradeWeb, even if it is for speculation because it's moved up so so much. That's why you have to tread carefully. Now, much more mad money ahead. What, what a headache with Amgen and Novartis dueling over the migraine drug Amavig, Pharmaceutical aloeb- pharmaceuticals is stuck in the middle. I'm asking the CEO what it means for the company. Then, good news, if the dog ate your homework, <laughs> I did it for you and it could make you some money and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round so stay with kramer
3: monday kickoff the trading day was squawk on the street live from post nine at the nyse it's horrible the amount of waste it's horrible look
0: at him taking a a stand. Yeah.
3: Right here, he's taking a stand. You are against pollution. I am. Whoa. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
0: Right now, there's a knockdown dragout fight going on in the pharma space over migraines. As someone who suffers from migraines, I am glad so many companies are working on new treatments. Though as a stock guy, I worry about the competition. You've got Amgen, Eli Lilly, Novartis, Teva, a bunch of other smaller players, including Alder Biopharmaceuticals. Here's a development stage biotech with a migraine drug that could hit the market hopefully as early as the first quarter of next year, provided it gets FDA approval. Outer stock has been a tough one to own. It roared right out of the gate after it came public in 2014, but over the next few years it plummeted back to earth, and then it seemed like investors almost forget, forgot about it. But last year, Otter brought in new management, and now their most important drug candidate is much closer to being approved. So could the stock finally get momentum? Let's take a closer look with Bob Azelby. He is the, no, the new, no longer new CEO of Outer Bi- Biopharmaceuticals. Get a better sense of Palace doing, where it's headed. Mr. Ismoo, welcome to Bad Money. Good to see you, Bob. Have a seat. Good to see you, Jim. All right, Bob. The community is very anxiously awaiting your drug, and I think it's important for you to point out this is not a Me Too drug. This is a different kind of drug.
1: Uh, that that's absolutely correct. We believe, based on our PROMISE 2 data, which was focused in chronic migraine, right. that we saw really, really robust uh, responses in terms of percentage of patients getting a 50 or 75 percent response rate, and the speed at which the prevention starts, we believe, is going to be very attractive to patients and to physicians.
0: Yeah, the team of uh, people that I work with for migraine, my migraine, say that it, it can even be as early as that day.
1: That is true. We actually uh, we were so confident in it because of 100% bioavailability that in our statistical analysis plan, we wanted to see if we could you know start beating placebo within 24 hours, and we are statistically significantly different but, within uh, 24 hours to start prevention.
0: Okay, but you want to talk about I mean the uh, the Amavig, the uh, the Lilly, the Teva, they are just boom like that. You have a drip, right?
1: We have a it's an IV, quarterly infusion mm-hmm. for 30 minutes. It's only for 30 minutes. Yeah, so people a- can go in and, and
0: literally, what, once every
1: quarter? It's once every quarter. And what you see with chronic migraine patients is many of them are seeing their doctors on a quarterly basis or even more frequently. Right. And so it will match up with their cadence going to see the clinician.
0: Okay, so let me ask you uh, are there people who, um, the other, the Amovic type drug, the CGRP, Uh, It might not work for them, but maybe yours works?
1: You know, that's always a possibility. I think it's early still to see if you move from one anti-CGRP to another uh, anti-CGRP. But what opinion leaders tell us is, if you, don't, if you get an inadequate response on one of the mm-hmm. subcutaneous uh, products, right. they do. They would like to try uh, eptenezumab because of 100% bioavailability, right. so they're getting the full impact of, of the drug within 30 minutes.
0: Do you think the FDA recognizes that this is not a me-too drug, so therefore they can't just say, you know what, we already have a lot of approvals, we don't need
1: this one? Oh, I, I think our engagement with the FDA has been fantastic. Good. The conversations between the, our two organizations have been great, and so I don't anticipate that being an issue.
0: You know, so I just want to get, there's a, some crazy stuff going on. You know that Amvig's partner, Amgen's partner is a Novartis. Novartis ha, uh, is the owner of Sandoz. Sandoz uh, is working with you, and I know Amgen feels that that is necessarily a breach. So what happens? You guys are kind of caught in the middle. Will, will your company be okay no matter what?
1: Yeah, I, I think we're going to to be fine no matter what, and I think it's been an interesting read over the last twenty-four it hours, sure which, has. which has occurred because uh, I know
0: the Amgen people said, "Listen, you better mention we're very <laughs> unhappy with Sandoz," but they did not say they're unhappy with you
1: I, I, exactly. But we've had a long-standing relationship with Sandoz going back a decade, and then we signed the Eptinezumab agreement in mm-hmm. twenty fifteen, and then we recently signed an amendment in January of twenty nineteen where they're going to make a quantity uh, specified for us for the next five years through 2023. Okay. And so two things on that. One, we're going to have ample supply, not only the launch in the U.S., Mm -hmm. but also globally. And even the product that's made in 2023, we wouldn't use that product in 2023. We would use that in the years beyond that. And so from a supply perspective for a small biotech, we're in really good shape from uh, from an inventory and commercial
0: Good, because I care about the patient side and don't want to hear that you could be cut off once people get started. Exactly. $7,000 a year for Amavig type, uh, similar pricing?
1: Yeah, I, I think that'll be a benchmark on which we'll be compared right. against, and we're working through a health economic data right now, because we do think we have advantages in terms potentially in robustness of response, right. and then the whole speed to response, and payers are excited by, you know, after a quarter, you're going to have a pretty good idea whether or not eptinezumab works for the patient. Oh, absolutely.
0: Now, how about awareness of the of the issue in the 36 million sufferers.
1: So that's one thing that, that we're passionate about from an older perspective yes. is, is, is the educational element mm-hmm. of it. And even more so, I don't think people have a really good understanding of what it means to have chronic migraine. No. And so... We're really focused on that particular education, and most people think it's a headache, but when you think about the light sensitivity, sound sensitive, nausea, vomiting, gastrointestinal issues, but the bigger thing is they have anxiety, they have depression, they have sleep disorders, and so at the end of the day, I think we can do a whole lot of justice to making sure we're educating on exactly the, uh, the battle that these migraine patients are going
0: through. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck, and I have to tell people that this could be a very, very important company. That's Bob Hazelby. is the CEO of Albert Biopharmaceutical. We'll spend the money back into the break. It is time! to time for the lightning round! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, Dad? you for the lightning round! play for the lightning round! i might a start with Dennis in Michigan. Dennis! Yeah, I'm calling about Diplomat Pharmacy. I don't like this, especially pharmaceutical companies, and I've been right so not to like that. I'm sticking by that view. I need to go to Mike in Georgia. Mike, Mike, Mike. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. I'd like to know what your thoughts
3: are on People's United Financial. Tantily, I've liked it for a
0: very long time. and It's done nothing for a very my long clothes. time, so it's very difficult for me to recommend. Let's go to uh, Noah in Pennsylvania.
2: Noah. Hi, Jim, how are you?
0: I'm good, Noah. How about you?
2: I'm good, thanks. My question is about TGTX, TG Therapeutics.
0: It's a uh, very good, this is recently. Mike Weiss. We had Mike, Mike Weiss used to come on. I don't know what happened. We said it was a very good speculative play and it remains a very good speculative play. And you know what? That's all I can say about it. Linda in Florida, Linda.
1: Hi, this is Linda. And you had a number of kick sacks stocks a couple of weeks ago. And do you think that Roku is still on uh, your list? <laughs> You
0: know, Roku is. Oh, my. You know what? My father loved Roku. Uh, You know what? Roku is a very good company. And I kept thinking that Amazon had to be able to annihilate them. And that was my mistake. And it's not happening. Roku's fine. Let's go. There are other guys who are better at at Roku, analyzing Roku than I am. Let's go to Dwight in Ohio. Dwight.
3: Booyah, Jim. This is the first time
0: calling. All right. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Hey, Jim, back in 2009, I purchased Bloom Energy. It IPO'd last year at $25 a share, but after the lockup period, the stock is now below 15 Should I sell my Bloom stock, or should I hope that Bloom gets its energy back? Um,
0: actually, I have no uh, reason to think that that's going to be a very big stock, frankly. I just don't see it happening. Let's go to Peter in Connecticut. Peter!
2: How are you, Jim? I am good, Peter. How about you? Good. Just want your thoughts on Teneco, symbol T E N. It's now off 60% on a one year. You know, I'd rather
0: look, I, Magna's better than them. I, you know, Lear's better. I I just have no compelling case to own that stock. How about Ed in Virginia? Ed. Hello, Jim. Hi, Ed. Love the show. Long time listener. Thank you.
3: Question, question is on FireEye. We've had the CEO on a couple times. But and you know what? They missed this. the quarter.
0: Uh, and the inconsistency, uh, I like Kevin Mandia, but the inconsistency of FireEye is maddening. I think CyberArk's better. My travel trust owns Palo Alto Networks, P-A-N-W, and I think that's a much better company than FireEye. Let's go to DeWitt in Delaware. DeWitt! Booyah, Jim! Booyah! Jim, Jim, buy more or hold WWE. We had George Barris on. So he told a pretty good story. The stock's been up, up, and away. But at eighty-nine dollars, I can't tell you. I can't tell you to buy anymore. It's it, no. I, I I just it's had a good run. Let's go to Lee in South Carolina. Lee. Hey, Kramer. Lee. Hey, you met you met with Peter Miller, CEO of Optinose, OPTN, last June.
2: For me, a newbie in the market, it's at an affordable price of ten dollars eighteen cents. How do you feel about it now? Well, it's just a spec.
0: I mean, it's a spec. spec, And, um, you know, ear, nose, and throat spec. I was just kind of interested in it because periodically I've had those. But uh, I I, I have no real edge on it right now. I'm sorry. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark.
2: Uh, Jim, earlier today on Scott Wapner's show, Josh Brown was real high on a stock. He's got a buy on it at 30 or lower. Uh, My question is, should I uh, buy store, ticker symbol S-T-O-R-30? or?
0: It's a good read. Yields 4%. You know, I I like Federal Realty more, but Federal Realty doesn't have as good a yield. But that's not bad. Okay, and that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round!
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: love to hear from you, America. Let's get to your tweets. First up, we have a tweet that says, note to the producer, please stop giving this man props. At least nothing that could hurt anyone. Bye! I stunk a monster when I came home. My wife said, what is that cologne? I said, that's Oda Monster. And here's another tweet. Somebody needs to stuff a brand muffin in Jim Kramer's big fat pie hole. Ah! 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 Jim Kramer is the spawn of an unholy union. We're the most interactive show on television. So stick with Uncrustables, then it's. Por- Start over.
3: So, booyah Jim, congratulations on a great show
0: Mad Money is not a show about picking stocks for you It's a show about empowering you to think for yourself
1: This is Bill from New York, Jim, thanks so much
0: Hey Jim, this is Curtis from
3: North Carolina I wanted
2: to say thanks to you for creating Mad Money
3: The man, the myth, the legend The
2: wizard of Wall
3: Street This is Stuffy from Philly And I want to give a good
0: booyah You are the reason why we do this We are one week into Financial Literacy Month, a major initiative for all of us at CNBC. You know I feel passionate about this personally. The Mad Money audience knows we have a laser-like focus on doing homework, which is what you need to do before you ever pull the trigger. And whenever I get a question about a stock that I don't know or just don't know well enough to give you a good answer, I never cuff it. I always take my time to do the research, then come back to you with a more considered response. That's not necessarily the best, you know, I mean, I don't always be right, but it's as considered as I can be. So let's catch up on all our important homework. On December 17th, Joshua in Pennsylvania asked me about Accelerate Diagnostics, AXDX, and I said I'd get back to him. This is an interesting story. Right now, we have a huge problem with the rise of antibiotic-resistant diseases. And that problem is made worse by the fact that our diagnostic systems just aren't very good. If you want to test bacteria to see which antibiotics will actually work, it can take two or three days for the results to come back. Isn't it unnerving? And three days is way too long if someone's really sick. That's where Accelerate Diagnostics comes in. They've developed a platform that allows for much faster turnaround times on these tests. They can identify a bacteria or fungus in 90 minutes and figure out which antibiotics it's vulnerable to in seven hours. It's only approved for patients with really bad infections, where you've actually got bacteria in your bloodstream, the condition that leads to septic shock. But that's exactly when you need a faster test. Accelerate Diagnostics is intriguing, but it's also a highly speculative stock that can be a ridiculously wild trader. Last year was devastating for the company's uh, stockholders, as early sales of their new diagnostic system were surprisingly disappointing. Plus, they ran into a series of setbacks, including a delayed clinical trial uh, for their bacterial pneumonia test, which I can tell you is so important. At the beginning of 2018, this was a $30 stock. It was at $10 by the end of the year. So you can see why Josh wanted to know what the heck was going on when he called mid-December. Since then, the stock did stabilize, and there's been a rebound, climbing to $18 and change today. Accelerate got a boost when the company pre-announced some better-than-feared results in January, which is one reason why it's up nearly 60% year-to-date. Even as shares have pulled back dramatically this week, down more than 6% today alone. Orders for their diagnostic system seem to be picking up, but I'm still not sold on Accelerate's ability to execute. If you own this stock and you've got a nice gain over the past few months, you know what, I have to tell you, I would be inclined to tell you to bring the register. At the end of the day, Accelerate Diagnostics is a $1 billion company that had sales of less than $6 million last year. And that's a million with an M. Their diagnostic machines may very well be revolutionary, but I can't get behind this one until we see more evidence that hospitals actually want to buy them. This one is too risky for me, even as I think their orientation is incredibly important, particularly the pneumonia, the pneumonia bacteria, because um, that's what my father died of in the hospital. And I just would have loved it had we been able to detect it earlier. Next up, on January 17th, Damien in Pennsylvania called about Zix at Z-I-X Corporation and the symbol Z-I-X-I. And I said, I get back to him. This is a tiny, inherently speculative company. It's got only a $370 million market cap really kind of at the low end of what we talk about on the show, and it's a single-digit stock. What does it do? Zix is a provider of email security systems, including encryption, data loss prevention, advanced threat protection, archiving, and bring-your-own-device to work mobile security. In other words, it's a cybersecurity play that helps businesses protect their data, while also complying with all sorts of regulations about how internal communications need to be handled. That's why Zix has a lot of customers in healthcare, financial services, insurance, and even government agencies like the Treasury Department and the SEC. These guys compete directly with the likes of Proofpoint. That's another email security play we've had on the show before, and you know we like them. Though their technology is easier to use, and they offer superior customer service. Now, when Zix was trading at $6.16, I got the call. And over the next month, it roared up to $9 and change. But then at the end of February, Zix reported a very strong quarter with truly tepid guidance. And the stock sold off violently, which is why it's now back all the way down to $6.85. And you know what? Down here, I think Zix might be worth Buy! Buy, buy, buy! They have a real business. Cybersecurity is a powerful long-term theme. And at these levels, the stock is only selling for less than 15 times next year's earnings estimates, which is ridiculously cheap given its growth rate. That's especially true when you consider that there's a catalyst here. Zix is buying River, a cloud-based purveyor of security services like web protection and email encryption. I like anything that helps them embrace the cloud. However, remember this is a small-cap stock with it, 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 it is a real wild trader. So don't even think about owning Zix for your retirement account. This is not an IRA name, please. This stock is for your discretionary mad money only. Finally. On January 17th, Ross in Virginia wanted to know about Chemical Financial, CHFC. I told him I needed to do some more digging because there's so many bank stocks. Chemical Financial is a regional bank with more than 200 locations across Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. These are areas that are doing very well in the economy right now. now two weeks after we got that call, the company announced that it was merging with TCF Financial, creating a Midwestern bank, banking powerhouse with more than 500 branches across nine states. Deals expected to close in the second half of the year, and the analysts can't wait because it will be incredibly additive to earnings. While Chemical Financial saw its stock shoot higher after the announcement, it came right back down over the course of March as the banks got hammered by falling long-term interest rates. In the past couple of weeks, it's been able to bounce somewhat, but I still think it's too cheap. Chemical Financial trades at only a very slight premium to its tangible book value. What it would be worth if you liquidated the entire business tomorrow. And the stock sells for just nine times next year's earnings estimates? Of course, all the bank stocks are cheap here. But unlike the rest of the industry, Chemical Financial actually has a catalyst thanks to this upcoming TCF merger, which should create an enormous amount of value. In short, Chemical Financial, bye bye bye. And how smart are our viewers, which is so important because we need to educate many more people about financial literacy. Stick with quick. Remember, great employment numbers last for weeks. And this was a great employment number, and it'll be something to fall back on if the market does go down next week. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you i find it just for you, right here on Money. I'm Jim Craver, and I will see you Monday!
2: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.